Today on Cinematics, a story of friendship, brotherhood, and redemption. This is the Blues Brothers. It's 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Cinematics. Today... We're talking about the Blues Brothers, a glorious classic piece of cinema from 1980. 1980, baby. 1980. And I think... Wait, who are you? Well, uh, what? I... Me? Who are you? I'm fucking Polly. Lovely. And I'm Ryan. And uh, a discussion of the Blues Brothers... I think would not be uh, complete if we didn't first talk about how it came to be. Mm. So, who are the Blues Brothers? Why did they have a movie made about them? Are they even real? Well, I think they're more myth than legend by now. I think that's probably true, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, but as far as the... Or Dis- mi- did I say myth and legend? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck am I talking about? You're it's talking late. about uh, it's ten thirty. It's ten thirty at night <laughs> on a work night, it's, and it's we're recording. It's too late for old man Paulie. Old man Paulie's getting sleepy. They're <laughs> uh, <laughs> more myth than legend. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying is, I just contradicted myself. No, you. Yeah, yeah, you did. So, Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi meet in a bar that Dan Aykroyd owns. Uh, Apparently, John Belushi is scouting for talent uh, to bring back to New York with him. They talk. They hit it off. Eventually, they both end up on Saturday Night Live, and they create the Blues Brothers Band. The band itself opens the live audiences for Saturday Night Live for a little while. And eventually gets a live spot um, for a skit about bees called Killer Bees, um, where they do a pretty pretty bang-up job. Uh, they also play for a Steve Martin skit on Saturday Night Live as well. And after that, Steve Martin asks them to open for his live nine-show tour at a large... Uh, uh, Coliseum theater area, you might say. Uh, and gee, would you know it? It's just the two of them. They don't have a band. What are they going to do? So John Belushi starts calling up all the band members <laughs> and being like, hey, we're getting a band together. Do you want to be in it? And he'd call people. And apparently there's a story about him calling Matt Cropper and and basically saying, like, I need you. And he's like, can't, I'm doing an album. I need you. Can't, I'm doing an album. I need you. And this goes on for an hour. And eventually, he gets the whole band together, and they play the show. Sounds like something John Belushi could do, from what I've heard about him. Mm. Yeah, you know, he's he's got a personality. The, yeah. the the research I was doing suggests that he's he's not he's a showman. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, he's a showman. There's a reason he's kind of the front man of, of the Blues Brothers. Mm-hmm. He... he there's accounts from Carrie Fisher of the fact that he's able to uh, make people feel like they want to do everything for him. Like he could <laughs> notoriously apparently sit in front of the TV <laughs> for hours without touching the remote and get people to change the channel for him and never move for hours because people just 
hmm. would do things for him. Interesting. Um, so it makes sense that he would be able to do something like this. It also makes sense then that this movie, funnily enough, so as they're developing their band, um, they are creating characters. So Elwood and Joliet, Jake Blues are characters that they created for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and as they are working towards this big show with Steve Martin, they work together with a few other people to create a full-blown backstory. Just a persona to go up on stage with. Yeah. yeah. And the persona is two orphans taught jazz by a, or taught music by a blues singing janitor. Cab Calloway. Cab Calloway. Um, and eventually this whole piece comes together and they create this backstory for their characters for this show, which because the show is so successful and everybody just dies for them because they're such showmen, they get the budget to make a movie out of it. So they create, what is it, a two and a half hour long epic pretty much? Yeah, I think it's about two and a half hours. It's They take their time with this one. Oh, they which sure is good, do. Which is good. I mean, it wouldn't be the same if they didn't take their time. Yeah. But they went $10 million over budget from a $17.5 million to a $27.5 million budget movie. They they notoriously had uh, Hollywood producers very mm. unhappy. Yeah, um, there was a lot of stress on set. There's a lot of talk of um, John Belushi's habits of yep. uh, illicit natures getting in the mm. way. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an account I also read of him disappearing and and uh, Dan Aykroyd going to look for him <laughs> and finding him on some random person's couch. Yeah, he fast used, asleep. Yeah, he used to do that a lot actually. Really? Yeah, he used to just walk into people's houses, open up their fridge, make a sandwich and fucking crash on their couch. Apparently that happened a lot. All right. Yeah. Well, apparently he's the only one who can pull it off because nobody else would get away with shit like that. <laughs> but that there's another uh, a testament to his uh his level of showmanship, his, I guess. Yeah, eh? yeah, for sure. Well, he was huge back in the early 80s. He still is. Yeah, which is true. You know, I but mean, like I mean at the time of his sort of eruption, I guess. He was like he was like the Beatles of comedy almost, that guy. Yeah, that's fair. A, yeah, a like, legend. Honestly, like I yeah, that guy was like uh he really he really um propelled sort of he was like he was called the rock and roll of comedy that's what they called the rock and roll of comedy yeah i like that that's got a nice name to it yeah and it makes sense being as he was also a huge you know cokehead so yeah and musician and musician (laughs) and everything else so (laughs) this whole thing comes together they finally create this movie and it's way over budget and everybody's pissed off about it and then it makes 115 million dollars which is uh almost five times its budget which is extremely impressive and that's a lot of money for the 1980s Mm -hmm. Uh, i mean the 150 million is gross and 115 million is gross and i'm sure that's not just in the 80s but over time that is still a lot of freaking money um and i think it's owed to the fact a the showmanship but also b the fact that they did put in the time they went way over their timeline they went way over their budget and it kind of shows. Well, I mean, oh yeah, it definitely shows. <laughs> but it's it's quite amazing that they took this this like little idea from Saturday Night Live, developed developed a backstory for it, did a did a show for Steve Martin, and then all of a sudden they like created one of the highest grossing comedies of all time. Right. Like interesting to note though, it wasn't started in Saturday Night Live. 
That's not where the idea the, 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 oh, the idea see. initially came when they met at that first bar that first Oh night. yeah, fair enough. They talked about blues for hours and Yeah, fair enough. John Belushi got into a big thing, but yes, it it, it essentially it, yeah, it formed on Saturday night. It was it was the physical the physical manifestation of Blues Brothers on Saturday night. Yes. Live. That's and that created something that changed the world. Changed the world or forever, something, man. Um so you were you were talking before we started about um, uh, they were called what revival were um, a revivalist band a revivalist band yeah blues and, revivalist band and that's interesting because you were also saying that this film um, revitalized a lot of careers yeah you know I mean it's full it's full of musicians all of the main cast are musicians I mean Ray Charles is in it Aretha Franklin is in it Cab yep. Calloway is in it yep um, I mean there's more that I'm I'm missing in that line of John Lee Hooker's in John it. John Lee Hooker um, James Brown James Brown who else there's a there's a lot of people there's probably people in that movie that we even missed oh I'm you sure what I mean is, like yeah. just in the background uh, Twiggy something. Twiggy Yep. Oh, okay. Um, apparently, that was that one was really expensive oh, to get her oh, on. Oh, Twiggy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I didn't know who she was. Yeah, no. I didn't either, but apparently she was a very expensive cameo. Really? Yeah. She didn't even sing. I know. What right? the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think that's part of why, because she was a very expensive cameo. And they could only afford so much uh, screen time. But Fair uh, enough. Yeah, she hardly did anything. She sat in a car the whole time, she and then she stood in front of a car for a while. <laughs> but you know what? It was really important to establish um, Jake's character. No, you know? Twi- Twiggy was uh, the one Elwood was talking to. Oh, oh, yeah. it was Elwood that was talking to, yeah. her, not Jake. Damn it! Damn it! That ruins my uh, <laughs> my. I was trying to give it some kind of weight, some kind of importance <laughs> to her character. Anyways. Carrie Fisher um, was the one after Jake. Yes, yeah. Carrie Fisher was. Yeah. Um, and the director of this, John Landis, uh, before this movie did Animal House. After this movie did American Werewolf in London. Um, beyond that, he's done a lot of TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's done a bunch of music videos. M- primarily Michael Jackson music videos he did a bunch of. Michael Jackson. Um, all of which are... Well, and he did the thriller video, which is a pretty yep. pretty big thing. Like thriller. a video short, they called oh, it. Oh yeah, video short, yeah. Um, but he had that run, you know, Animal House, this one, and then American Werewolf in London, three gigantic films. Yeah. Um, that are still hailed as comedy icons to this mm-hmm. day. So I actually haven't seen American Werewolf in London. I've seen parts of it, but I haven't. I've seen, seen the whole parts thing. of it, yeah, but I. I want to see it. It's just I haven't been able to track it down or I forget about it every time I go to buy a movie. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Uh, it's got one of the most iconic uh, special effects scenes or mm-hmm. yeah, special yeah. effects scenes with the transformation that mm-hmm. has ever been done. Yep. So that's the backstory of the Blues Brothers. It's about as rock and roll and insane as the characters themselves. Agreed. Um and with that, I guess let's maybe let's talk about the production of it a little bit, the production elements. Yeah. I mean, key among that is the stunts and car chases portion, yeah. which is almost as prolific as the uh, stage performance portion yeah. <laughs> of the film. Um, and I know you were talking about uh, telling me that they were all done kind of 
in in real space, right? Yeah, they were they were all done in the streets of Chicago and on the freeways and everything. And when they were going through Chicago, you there's a few there's a few uh, uh, shots like earlier in the movie where things are sped up a little bit. Yeah, there, there's one in particular I can note where there's a bunch of cop cars driving that looks yeah, a little bit. Sped yeah, you up. can see the rotators on the light bars kind of going a little mm. faster and stuff. But for for the majority of it, like everything that they do in that in that movie, like that is the speed they're going. Like they needed tons of coordination and tons of people just to make sure they didn't like hit someone on the street that didn't know what was going on because they were flying down those fucking. The streets. number of jobs they created in just having locations PAs to lock up traffic would have been ridiculous. Yeah. And the amount of money they must have spent on cars that they smashed up. Oh man, was just ridiculous yeah i can't even like i mean like i wonder how many how many like um dodge monaco's they had as opposed to like even the amount of police cars like how like how many police cars were in that while there's like how many crash how many how many massive pileups like how many police cars do you think they went through if we're just talking in the final car chase I mean, we're counting in a shot at least 50 in some of those shots yeah. that are, are driving. And then some of those pileups, I mean, there's at least 10 or 15 cars mm-hmm. that get crashed in, in each of those pileups. And, and there's like three or four pileups in that final scene. And chase then there's, scene. there's there's some that go into back like the back of trucks. Yeah. There's one, they use campers. They like That gigantic uh, motorhome thing that yeah. the country band yeah, drives around in. Yeah, the RV and everything. That big RV, like, that's yeah. the one big recreational vehicle and just even just like uh some of the explosions and like just some of the effects that they use too like when carrie fisher runs out with a flamethrower and blows that phone (laughs) booth up into the air (laughs) or like i don't know when she blows that building up obviously they didn't blow up a real building but no but i mean this this is an era of pretty limited visual effects overall like the 1980s did not have you can do some. You had to use a lot of camera trickery and like yeah. force perspective and and you know you can use some some film processing tricks and mm-hmm. some yeah. and things like that to sort of sell Certain stuff. Certain lenses, but, all that. But for the most part, everything they did was done or entirely done in camera. Yeah. So even to that extent, it's an impressive feat just to think about. And I, I like I like to think about it, uh, Blues Brothers in terms of that it's a cartoon. Like they took so many they <laughs> they took so many liberties, and they just said, "Okay, this doesn't really have to make sense. We can throw an explanation into it, like if later if we have to or whatever." But like uh, um, that little that little um, power room that they parked the oh yeah the Bluesmobile in, right? I was I was mentioning to you that the like the uh, producer said like. Yeah, that's where the blues, br- like the blues mobile, gets its powers from. It's superpowers. It's like it's like doing it's like doing backflips and it's jumping over cars. It's like it's just hopping. It's almost like it has a personality of its it, own. It it's kind of got yeah. A per- there you go. That that's just it. A personality of its own yeah. that really sells. And I mean that they going off the end of that uh, constructing yeah, yeah. freeway and the tires are hanging uh-huh. in air and somehow it can still drive backwards. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't entirely make sense, but it doesn't. So here's the thing. I don't think it matters that it doesn't make sense. It doesn't. And, and I say that specifically for a technical reason. And the technical reason being that very early on in the film, they establish that the rules of this world oh, are yeah. not um, like they don't really apply 
to the Blues Brothers, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. Like, Jake and, uh, Jake and Elwood kind of... They just they just don't follow the rules of the universe, <laughs> you know. It's like uh, the the whole Carrie Fisher trying to hunt them down thing, and and it's it's so funny that because no matter what she does, you know she'll when she first rolls up and fires off that rocket launcher and the whole thing explodes them, and then they stand up and they just kind of look at each other and then they, just, they yeah like, they just gotta brush themselves off like nothing like nothing they they looked a little confused. But, but it, it wasn't out of the ordinary for them. No, exactly right. It's like all right, so so obviously this is this is a world where these sorts of things don't need to necessarily be explained. I mean, the, 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 my favorite example is when she comes back and destroys the <laughs> entire building, and they get up. They're covered in rubble. Like the, <laughs> the whole building has landed on their heads, and they get up and they kind of brush themselves off. He's like, oh, it's almost nine o'clock. I got to get to work. <laughs> yeah, you know. So like. The the rules uh, that we expect in a, in a normal universe don't apply here. So that w- yeah. so that when we get to that scene and things are just ridiculous and over the top, and the fact that the cops are are there to watch, y- yeah. you know, watch their show and not do anything and let them finish their whole performance and all that, like, like yeah. none of that matters because it's, the story world yeah has been established. They tell the story that they want to tell. They take their time with it and. I don't know. It just ends up being a very unique thing. It wasn't like Animal House, and it wasn't like I don't know. I I think I've I've probably said this more than once on this, but like, just in the in the eighties, it just seemed like you were getting so much different stuff all the time. Mm. Like, you know, you could take a movie like I don't know, Polar Opposites, like American Werewolf in London, right? And then you could take the Blues Brothers, or two totally different things made made in the same era by the same by the same person people. too. Yeah. yeah, like they don't have like, I guess in a way, like, do would you say that directors are kind of typecast now to direct certain movies? I mean, I think it depends on the director in the same way that it depends on the actor. You know, yeah. Um, there's a lot of directors who will bounce around and do a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Um. And there's directors who do really, really well at one thing, and people know that, and they end up... I mean, look at uh, Michael Bay, say. I don't necessarily say that... By saying this, I'm not saying that he could necessarily make great films of other types besides what he does, because I don't know what he's capable of. All I know is that his wheelhouse is creating ridiculous slow motion explosive shots and like crazy action sequences that are tied together with small pieces of plot and a little bit of character development to create this sort of visually intense movie i mean most of his movies are already car commercials anyways yeah but he should be he should be making car commercials he should be that aren't two and a half hours long (laughs) so so he's a perfect example of a director who's been typecast say Mm -hmm. um Whereas there's another person say, like, let's talk about James Cameron. Not that he's necessarily uh, a pinnacle of directing either, per se. He, I would say he's more of a scientist than he is a director. I mean, he does things yeah. more for the technical aspect than anything That's else. True, you know, yeah. he made Avatar yeah. because he wanted to experiment with 3D, not because he wanted to tell the Avatar story. Yeah. You know, he, he made... Um, uh, I don't want to. He, s- he wants he wants an excuse to use all the fancy toys and also develop them as well. Yeah, so and and something to do with progress that. the technology of our craft, which is you know what people have to do that. Mm-hmm. Someone has to be the one to make those advancements and and you know make those d- uh, discoveries. And it's great that there's someone out there who's so passionate about the technology and still able to create something that people are going to pay to see. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, look yeah. at Titanic, right? Yeah, like that's a totally, totally, totally different movie. 
than than what Avatar. You, than what we're used to from James Cameron. Exactly. Well. So I, w- well, I wouldn't say he's typecast. I would say that he he does what he wants to yeah. do. You know. Yeah. And and I don't think that John Landis is necessarily a typecast director either. And in, in the tone of this, you know, he's done yeah. a lot of different things. He keeps coming back to music a lot, and mm-hmm. he keeps coming back to comedy in music a yeah. lot. Um, but I don't think that's I think that's a personal choice. I don't think that that's a typecast yeah, choice. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so that, that that that's my response to that question. I guess I even forgot my question. <laughs> <laughs> You're so Paul. captivating. Oh, <laughs> come on. Anyways, um, um <clears throat> so we were talking about car chases and stunts, insane production costs <coughs> and value. Actually, there was a in the making of it. There was a scene when I think it was when they were they were in that mall, and I think they were setting up to start shooting in the mall. Mm-hmm. And I think John Landis was on the phone with like, um, like producers or other other parties just to like get more money. He's like, no, no, no. Like he's like, I think he was trying to describe the car chase to them, and they're like, dude, you're fucking crazy. <laughs> like, what are you thinking? What are you doing yeah, right now? He's like. He's like, no, no, we need this. And he was on the phone and like there's all these people around him and he's just like, no, come on, please just give me more money. Give me more money. I just need it. Come on. That's so funny. Also, we were talking when we were watching that scene, I thought was really interesting is that it. it oh, it, product placement. It everywhere. felt like they took all of the companies that gave them money for product placement and said, all right, we're going to put you into a car chase. And then we're like, all right, how do we do this? They're going to drive through a mall, and they're just going to start t- pointing out the different shops. Oh, this mall has everything. <laughs> yeah. This and that. This and that. That. You know, it, it's like it's just store after store after store. And yeah. they, they, you they, know, hit, tr- they literally hit every store in the mall. They, they intention- <laughs> It seems like they intentionally hit every store, in the, or at least all the ones that have their names mentioned. Yeah. Again. But they were they were driving through a lot of... A lot of uh, places in the mall where you just see the sign but you don't actually true yeah so i mean and it ends with them coming out of a jc penny which yeah. they didn't mention the name of but they definitely they're prominently probably like, display yeah they're like whoever gives us the most money will get the most screen time <laughs> <laughs> i mean i would not be surprised if that was actually what that and, scene was but. and that's what that's what i like about what blues brothers did with its like product placement mm-hmm. it's just because like the products themselves are like the companies that make the products aren't being too serious of, of, about themselves. They're like letting cars like crash into their stores. Like they they actually went and bought like stuff from these stores or the, the places donated them or something. All this stuff from these specific stores just so they could destroy just so it. They could smash it. And it's interesting because it's 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 a weird issue with company names in that you have to have like you have to have permission generally to use those logos and those names. Mm. A, a company's not going to let you do that without having had permission. So whether or not that's product placement, whether or not that's uh, them just getting permission, whether it's whatever it is, like the companies were aware of what was going on and they let it happen and mm. it made for this like this just g- glorious, and extravagant, that, yeah, uh, excessive car chase well, through a mall that just uh, the, yeah. the funny thing about a lot of the car chases too is they don't. It's it starts off one place and then it ends up in the mall. It's like a it's that's I don't know. It's like uh that's the highlight of the car chase. It's like there was one before that when they were stuck in the parking lot when they were driving through <laughs> that residential back and <laughs> yeah. Forth, yeah when they were when they're in the residential neighborhood and stuff. Like it started way before that. But when you think of the car chase, it's like 
yeah that's that's the car chase of this scene yeah yeah exactly i don't know they just they they just i don't know they just took their time with it I thought they, it was they, really they good. did and they didn't they took the every scene was exactly as long as it needed to be some of them felt like they were extended a little bit long yeah to to a point like they drew them out more than was necessary mm-hmm. but i feel like they they felt at least like that was how long the scene needed to be there was some yeah. moments where i was like all right this could probably be done now and yeah, it would be okay yeah, exactly. but but for the most part, they they tend to keep them. They, they keep them pretty consistent. Yeah, they keep them pretty consistent, anyways. Um, so let's maybe chat about comedy in general for a minute because we're going to be doing some okay. um, some discussion about comedy overall over the next few episodes, I think, here and looking at some mm-hmm. different examples and and exploring. So. Um, why don't we talk about the comedy of it? And one of the first things I, I want to mention, because it's sort of a consistent rule, and if you don't know the rule exists, sometimes you don't notice it, but there's a, a rule of threes that apply to comedy, and it applies to writing in kind of all aspects, I think. But comedy especially likes to rely on this rule of threes, which is essentially just the idea that everything ha- will happen three times. You know, you get it once you get it twice and then you get it a third time spread out throughout the course of the movie so that every time you see it the audience is kind of like oh that's a callback haha it's funny oh right and and three seems to be a number where it's not too many times so that you get to the third one and people still find it funny and people still sort of relate to it but it's it's enough that you're gonna get as many laughs out of the same sort of joke as you can get Mm -hmm. um and i think carrie fisher's role in this movie was that three is the prime example because there's there's three main events uh that could be broken down into four but there's her attack on them at the hotel so uh the first one being the rocket launcher at the doorway and then blowing up the building they're kind of in the same scene yeah uh they sort of fit into one piece yeah um there's the second one where she gets them with a flamethrower um as they're in that phone booth yeah and kind of keeps just excessive explosions on that one too (laughs) and then the third one when they have their last sort of showdown and we find out what her deal is and the rule of threes is interesting in this aspect too i think because it it builds as we go through so we we just see this person um blow stuff up and we're like okay what is she is she she an assassin is she military like why is she shooting at these people with these like gigantic rocket launchers Mm -hmm. the second time we get a glimpse into her her actual life because she owns this little shop and she's like (laughs) teaching herself how to make these destructive devices to try and and cause damage to the blues brothers and and what was the name of her shop I don't remember. It was Curl Up and Die. Curl Up and Die. <laughs> that's what it was. Curl Up and Die Beauty Salon, which, I mean, you were, you were saying you didn't even notice. I didn't notice that before. Um, but I picked up on it when I, I was like, yeah. I was like, what does that say? And it's kind of hidden. And if you're not looking to see what it's called, you wouldn't notice it. But it's it, you read it and you're like, oh, that's a nice sort of just like placed joke. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's a nice sort of planted joke you know where it's like here here's the punchline if you're if you're looking for it if yeah. you're seeking the in the production design so that's kind of cool and, and mm-hmm. we see a little bit more of her character there and then when we get her again for the third time we get the full story which is that 
for some reason she was supposed to marry Jake and Jake left her at the altar after her family spent all of their money and did all of this stuff and now she she remains celibate for him. She remains celibate for him and that's the you know the important part so, of that. So as as you were as you were talking like um god damn it. Um as you were talking about um the physical the f- sort of physical aspect of the mm-hmm. comedy and um the rule of threes but uh i guess i guess one thing i want to talk about as i was thinking there was uh that all comedy is based on misery right like, yeah I, I guess in a lot of ways i mean we laugh at people's misfortune for the yeah most part. so the the one thing the one thing i was thinking of is uh it kind of it kind of pertains to jake's and uh elwood's character that people throughout this whole movie are trying to make their lives miserable like they're either trying to kill them or they're trying to take their gigs or whatever and it seems like the more they try to make life miserable for the blues brothers the more miserable they are because you know what i mean like yeah i know i see what you're saying like everybody's trying to get them down but in doing so, they're only just causing themselves yeah, problems. Because like, yeah, exactly. Because you can look at it like when the building falls on them, mm-hmm. they just cr- they just like walk out and they just brush themselves off and they continue on their merry way. It's like, uh, like, I, I I don't know how to describe it. It's like, do they not let things get them down or like, I don't know. It just seems it, like the more miserable people try to well watch yourself, I will <laughs> you almost not. closed yourself, almost <laughs> lined yourself with that thing. Um, but yeah, just. I don't know. That just kind of occurred to me. I don't know if you agree, but that's just kind of how I see it is the more miserable people try to make the Blues Brothers, the more like or even when they're in the restaurant, mm-hmm. like he's trying to kick them out and then they just they're put, just sitting they there just eating draw, their yeah, food. They just draw a line in the sand. They're <laughs> like, we'll leave when you rejoin the band. You either join the band or we're going to come here for every meal of every day. Doesn't matter that we don't have any money. I mean, we're not going <laughs> to pay for any of it. We're just going to come here and eat your food and leave. Yeah, exactly. Or you can come play again with us. Yeah. You know, and, and I think I think that's interesting, I guess, because we, we've got two characters here who, who pretty much just will stop at nothing to get what they want yeah. at the end of the day. Now, I, I wonder... I wonder about that, though, because first of all, we know that uh, Jake goes to jail because he tries to rob a grocery store to pay or a store of some sort Mm. to pay off money that he owed to other band members. He goes to jail. He gets his five years or whatever. He gets out early for whatever reason. Good Um, Good behavior. Sure, we'll go with good behavior. Then their sort of orphanage mother character uh, gives them shit for being... Uh, disappointing Mm -hmm. and they decide that they have to uh, they have to redeem themselves somehow actually I think the I think the nun is the only one in the movie who actually got to them yeah you know what I mean because she was like whacking them with the meter stick and then she brought out that big rod Oh, that's true. I mean, yeah. she 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 wins at the end of the day. She's the only yeah. one who who beats them yeah. at anything. Yeah, you know, physically and not physically. Yeah. Um, and which is really interesting because that's kind of her, you know, that, that's their mother figure, and that's the one person in the world that they kind of seem to, even though she doesn't treat them well, even though like they specifically say the only person who's ever treated them well is their old blue singing uh, janitor friend, mm-hmm. Cab Calloway, mm-hmm. um, and yet, yet they, they're so determined that they need to redeem themselves in her eyes, and we never see her again. Yeah, either the, 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 you know, yeah, you only see her at the beginning. There's one scene, and then they go to, go on this mythic quest to redeem themselves and save their their old orphanage, and they do it, 
And then they go to jail, and we don't, we don't, <laughs> we don't see her again. We don't see what happens to any of that. And I, I, I have to wonder if that's even, at the end of the day, if that's what's important, or if what seems to be the I message think it here. Is. I think it is. Is that that they're, they're not willing to let anything get to them, and they're not willing to, to sacrifice they, anything. Yeah, they do not yield. They do not yield. They just they have a goal and they go for it. Yeah. Uh, at all costs. At all costs. So there you go. Yeah. I just um, I don't know. That was just a interesting kind of thing to me. Yeah. I was just thinking about character development. Um, but to talk about comedy again for a second. Speaking of of the nun, you reminded me when I was first watching that opening scene, um, when they they pull up and they have their their little conversation. It's it up until that point. It's up in the air what kind of movie it is. Like, if you had no idea oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. what you were watching, if you just sat down and turned on the TV and for some reason the credit, the opening credits were rolling on this movie and you're like, all right, I guess I'll watch this thing then. You know, it, you could be watching a crime drama. You could be yeah. watching a, a family drama. You could Like, there are so many different things you could be watching. And they pull up to this orphanage and, uh, you know, um, um, Jake is forced to come in and face, which... I mean, it, it's a whole thing about why he's forced and why he's. I mean, I guess he went to jail and doesn't want to, doesn't want to, you know, have to st- sit in front of their mother figure and yeah, and get the shit that he gets when he goes in there <laughs> with the rod. Yeah. Um, and then they 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 go in and just like the framing of that whole scene of them slowly walking up the stairs and mm-hmm. the back and forth between the the stairs. And the the giant cross at the top, and like the long, long walk, and the weird hallways, and it's just yeah. you're like, all right, the timing of the of the movie, the 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 flow and the pacing and the of the comedy starts there, I think, and that's where yeah. you you were like, okay, this is this is gonna be a yeah. funny movie, yeah. This the, and it's also when you get a, a semblance of the type of comedy that's going to be as well. It's just out like out there sort of, they do whatever they want kind of comedy. Cause they like walk in like the door, the door opens by itself. Yeah. They walk in, yep. they're walking up the stairs. They're looking at the crucifix and everything. And then it just slams behind them. Just slams behind and them. And even the, the nun, when she like levitates. Backwards. <laughs> as they're leaving, she floats in and the yeah. door closes on its own again. And, and it's, it's interesting because it's a comedy that doesn't, uh, it doesn't laugh at itself. Yeah, exactly. You know, like I find these days there's a lot of comedies where it's very much like, ooh, we're being funny here. Ha, ha, ha. You should laugh at this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that, if that necessarily gets more of a reaction or not, but I think that kind of comedy gets a different reaction. When I sit down and watch something like the Blues Brothers, I don't, I don't find myself laughing out loud through the whole movie. I don't find myself... But I find myself constantly... you con- It's constantly funny. You just don't have to laugh at it all the time. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make you tired. No. <laughs> it doesn't wear you out having to watch it. That's a yeah, good point. Exactly. You know, There's a lot of comedies where it's like, all right, I've laughed so much, I'm tired now. Yeah. Which, I mean, that, I guess that's a weird way of saying that because you'd think that would be a successful comedy. But there's something... If you feel like you have to force yourself to laugh... That that's that's an interesting point yeah. because you know you you fe- feeling like you have to laugh whereas through the Blues Brothers like a lot of these scenes you know the 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 characters take themselves seriously the movie takes itself seriously yeah and it doesn't ever set itself up so it's like oh look how ridiculous we are like again with that scene mm-hmm. you know there there's so many ways that that levitation could have been handled that would have been 
you know, overt yeah, the, and yeah, excessive. It just, it, I don't know. It was set up in the scene properly too. Mm-hmm. They walk in, the door opens by its own, like by itself. It slams, and then you're like, okay, what other weird, crazy shit's gonna happen in this orphanage? And then you see her just fucking flow backwards through the door, and the door closes on its own. It's just, you know, I don't every, know. Every, everything takes itself seriously. Everything is showing itself to the audience as it is to be taken as real, which which is is interesting considering that at the end of the day, it's kind of a mockumentary, you know. Okay. Like I, interesting. And and I don't say that in the sense that it's told in the style of a documentary. Mm-hmm. You know, the the idea of, of say. So um, are you saying it's kind of like this is Spinal Tap? So that's what I was about to say. Is I don't think it's the same a mockumentary in the same way that this is Spinal Tap is a mockumentary where it's filmed as though it's a documentary. Mm-hmm. I th- I think it's a mockumentary in the sense that it's it's presenting itself as being a story about real people and their real struggle. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, it is. Mm-hmm. Y- y- it's it's to these two characters, Dan Aykroyd's character and, and John Belushi's character, trying to bring together this dream they have well, to create this band. And and the the plot parallels a lot of what happened as they were putting that band together and them trying to prepare for that big show with Steve Martin. Mm-hmm. It's the same. It yeah. it ends up being the yeah. same plot line, right? Like it's yeah. it's them. These two guys who are the core of the band bringing their players together to create this thing for this one big show. Yeah. Yeah, fucking right. Yeah. So it's it's a mockumentary in that sense because it's telling you a air quotes, a real story about real people. Yeah. And so it, the comedy is taking itself seriously and it's not right. trying to yeah, be there, there's there was outlandish. Uh, yeah, there's there's some respect for it i guess you know for for Mm -hmm. them like it it was an experience for them like they they i don't know they just want to tell their story the way that they wanted to tell it exactly that's all it was really they're like we're like yeah fuck it let's have a car do a backflip whatever (laughs) whatever it'll be it'll look cool we got superpowers in our car (laughs) that's the explanation superpowers from the tiny tiny room full of transformer boxes that empowered our car to do backflips and fly and hop around but it, it's it's very physical too to to continue on the idea of that <laughs> comedy. You know, it takes mm-hmm. itself seriously, but it, it is also very physical. It's in it's in the framing of the shots. It's sitting there and seeing the Blues Brothers sitting, you know, and when they go to church for the first time for you know yeah. whatever they think they they need to go to church for, uh, and they're standing there and they're like perfectly framed on the thirds with mm-hmm. this like sort of beautiful hero shot looking at them with like the nice window behind them and yeah. and and then they just stand there and then. And then we leave them there, and for the entire scene, they don't move. They yeah. stand in the same spot, and you see them in the background, and they become like just a sort of a piece of this gigantic they dance come, number. They, they become onlookers. Yeah, like th- like the at that point, I think it uh, it switches focus from them to what they're focusing on. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like instead of it focusing on them, like yeah, you see their reactions and stuff, but that whole thing is about is about James Brown. And, it, it is, and, and you know his big his big thing, which he I think I don't uh, know an almost almost an artist profile you could say yeah if well you wanted he, to he go recorded all his music live didn't he I think that's I don't I th- know I think I read that I don't know if it was one of the articles that you were reading that I was it wasn't no oh, okay it was something I read where he had said that uh, he recorded all his music live whereas Interesting. Um, uh, Aretha Franklin Aretha Franklin Aretha Franklin she. Um, she had to uh 
lip sync all her shit, didn't she? Right. Yeah. Oh, I see. You 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 mean for the actual for the actual of the film? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because there there's um and that was one of the things that I noticed was a big challenge, or what one of the articles was saying was a big challenge. There is that uh, Aretha Franklin is not was not used to the idea of filmmaking and having to lip sync so there mm. was she had they took a lot more time trying to do her number right and set up her scene because she was having to redo takes a lot more mm. than um and and as well uh brown um neither neither of them were really accustomed to lip syncing mm-hmm. whereas um I, th- I believe there we go cab calloway i'm sorry i'm just reading what what i had yeah, wrote yeah, down yeah. here um was more used to the idea and and also wanted to do variations and things and experiment mm-hmm. um yeah so so that there i mean that that that's a, maybe an interesting transition point to talk about music in the movie then yeah um because it is a musical at the end it of is, the day it is it is a musical yeah and it's f- uh, whatever it's my opinion but i think it's <laughs> the it's it's the only musical i can watch the i only i, I one, have hey? respect for musicals but I, it, for me, it's the only one I can watch that, and take fair. and take seriously because it takes itself seriously. Mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of other musicals d- do too, but this is just the like I don't know. I have trouble taking musicals it, it, seriously. It's the style, and it's it's. I mean, it's at the end of the day, maybe it's what the music is too. I mean, we're mm-hmm. we're looking at at an exploration of blues, um, at a time when it was dying. Yeah, you know, it was dying out. Like I think this was around the time Michael Jackson and like sort of pop music was starting to kind of music and 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 disco um, was dying yeah pop pop and rock Mm -hmm. were really kind of hitting a bigger stride in the 80s yeah you know and and blues and soul and jazz and and disco and all that were were definitely starting to fall by the wayside they were on the they were on the down and out for sure which is i guess why they call it a uh, the blues brothers the The revivalist the revivalist revivalist sorry revivalist blues revivalist band so in that sense, I mean that maybe that's part of what it is. Is it's the type of music that this portrays, and also yeah. interesting of note too, I guess, is that it's not about char- It's not always about characters singing the plot. It happens once or twice. Right. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Aretha Franklin scene. She sort yeah. of sings out her. Um, she she's her thing. Speaking speaking to Matt. Yeah. Through song, but yeah. for the most part, the musical component of it is people performing music yeah like when you see john lee hooker he's just he's just performing boom 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 yeah you know and and that that's interesting too because you you were saying before how it's sort of the movie takes its time and i think that's really where Mm -hmm. it shows yeah there's there's scenes that were too long and there's stuff that just kept going like james brown's scene was really really james brown's it was really long um but what they're doing is they're basically profiling these blues artists yeah and they give them enough time creating essentially a music video for them yeah which which is interesting when you look at the fact that john landis goes on to produce or or direct a a bunch of music videos and Mm -hmm. and here this is this is i don't want to say this is his start but it's almost kind of his start in music videos it's it's a collection of music videos for Mm -hmm. various blues artists yeah exactly connected through this one overarching story Mm -hmm. of these characters who just are trying to get their band going yep um and to that aspect, I think that, you know, music really is the most important part of the film, regardless oh yeah, of the comedy, sure. regardless of the gigantic car chases and the, oh yeah. the, the crime. It's called the Blues Brothers. I mean, there you go. You know, and yeah, like it, 
like after after this movie came out too, like uh, a lot of people like James Brown and Ray Charles were getting back into music just because of how popular this movie was. And probably, I don't know how many people listen to blues around that time. And it just, and, and with the Blues Brothers too, it's kind of a mixture between like, uh, it's it's a mixture between um, blues, um, rock and roll, jazz, bluegrass, bluegrass all that kind of stuff In too. A way, so um, I mean, maybe not quite bluegrass, but there is that whole country sequence where they kind of yeah. I mean, they're they're versatile. Yes, you know, versatile. It, That's it a good shows way to that it. they're good at music, not just blues music or just soul or whatever. Like yeah. they can pull they can pull shit out of their ass if they have to. I guess. I mean, you you can tell if nothing else that they had fun. Yeah. Making this movie, you know, I mean, this was. This is obviously a production of passion. It's it's a, a piece of a piece of art that a group of people who really cared about the things that they were making sat mm-hmm. down and they're just like, we're gonna make what we want to make. Like like you said before, it's the, they're telling the story they want to tell, yeah. and you don't get to see a lot of that in filmmaking. And I, that's not to say that people in this business aren't passionate about what they do. I mean, there's. There's a million and a half independent filmmakers who make exactly the stories they want to make. And there's a ton of uh, Hollywood filmmakers who get to make the movies they want to make. But there's a lot of producer interference all the time. There's a lot of studios wanting to. Would you also say that it's uh, would you also say that it's audience interference as well? Um, Just based on, I guess, I guess statistics. I don't. I don't know that it's necessarily audience interfering. I still. I still put the onus on the studios making the assumptions because at the end of the yeah. day, you have a, uh, making the making of movies is a business, and that you have a bunch of people putting millions of dollars into a product that they want to sell. Yeah. And so in their mind, whatever it is that they're creating needs to be what the audience wants to watch. But you never know what the audience wants to watch. The most unpredictable part of filmmaking is whether or not your movie's even going to be liked because people could yeah. you know people could be in a in a big love of you know I mean people Westerns. are always in a big love yeah there you go westerns <laughs> we'll use that people could be on a huge ra- uh, rage about watching westerns and then a western comes out and everyone's like this is garbage or like yeah. it could be an amazing movie but it just doesn't find its audience you know it's so hit and miss and it's so it's so much to do with luck and and advertising and marketing and so many factors that go into it and and so I think to that end there's a lot of uh, a lot of producer interference in the sense that they want to try and match what the audience wants and I also think that there's a lot of um, uh, I guess estimation yeah yeah I'm I'm just saying the same thing again now but <laughs> but the 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 point being is that it's not necessarily uh, it's not on the audience because the audience doesn't go and tell the producers. Well, I, I know that there's see. there's like audience, you know, a lot of uh, <laughs> I'm gonna say audience people because Audi- <laughs> audience people, <laughs> audience members, there or you as go. a general audience, whatever yep. that want to see different different stuff, but it just I don't know. P- people always say they want to see different things, but but what tells. The truth is what the box office shows. That's true. And the box office shows people going to watch the movies. And and now, having said that, that has to do with marketing and distribution and all that kind of stuff. And, I mean, obviously, this movie would have been marketed well for the fact... Like, they spent so much money on it already that they would have marketed the crap out of it. Yeah, it it was marketed well, and it was at the the sort of height of Saturday Night Live and stuff. And 
but even still like this this movie was a pretty big risk for them to make considering nobody really liked blues anymore yeah they were trying to revitalize an old an old uh fashion music mu- music type i a guess whole, a, a whole genre i sound like a robot but <laughs> <laughs> they're trying to a <laughs> fashion music type <laughs> reestablish old music type fashion blues. aliens blues <laughs> this these are human music <laughs> but but i mean you know risks are proven to work sometimes i mean when pirates of the caribbean was made um as a a weird off-topic example although it is a comedy but when that film was made it was a gigantic risk because the previous pirate films that had come out were not had not been successful it was a genre that at one point had a lot of success and had died out and the last couple movies had not been good and these guys decided they wanted to make it anyways and they pitched it and they had this whole thing and they spent a lot of money and they kept doing things without producers like knowledge and agreement and it all ended up with a gigantically successful franchise Mm. that is surrounded by nothing like it yeah you know like in our time in our era pirate movies don't really exist other than pirates of the caribbean yeah and for some reason that series is insanely successful and i would say the for some reason is probably johnny depp and orlando bloom yeah for the most part um eye candy for the ladies (laughs) (laughs) so risks risks can be extremely useful and important to take oh yeah for Um, sure and and this is obviously one and of those. I mean, examples. it all depends on the way that you want to tell it, right? Like all the way, how like how much effort and uh, how much thought has gone into what you're trying to convey. It could be, you know, like a twist on a certain genre or mm-hmm. whatever, right? And I think there would have been, I, I like I don't think we can talk about Blues Brothers without talking about the death of the early death of John Belushi. Um, I think they would have made a sequel. Well, they did make a sequel in the 2000s with jo- John Goodman, which was really bad. But, I mean, I think that this movie probably would have got a sequel. Right. Okay. Yeah. Wh- 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 when did John Belushi die? How long 82, after? 82, I think. Really? Yeah. It was oh, just before. It was, re- it was while um, Dan Aykroyd was writing Ghostbusters. Because oh. John Belushi was originally supposed to be in Ghostbusters and he died and then he was... Bill Murray replaced him. Bill Murray, okay. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't say replaced him, but, you know. But they needed someone to play the role. Yeah, exactly. So. So. And and knowing Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi's relationship, it mm-hmm. would have been there would have been a character written for him. Yeah, so. exactly, yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's true, though, because with how successful the movie was, uh, there's, there's no way they wouldn't have come out with another one. Oh, yeah. B- barring, of course, the fact that the Blues Brothers ended when their front man was no longer alive mm, so mm-hmm. but um on a uh, on a lighter note they did make a sequel it was <sighs> it was really bad but at it least exists. john goodman was in it yeah fair enough i haven't seen it but uh oh. i don't and i don't i don't know if i will based on how you've you've explained it to me no no, that's no. good, man. Just, no, just, leave, just leave good enough alone. <laughs> leave well enough <laughs> alone, man. Yeah. I mean, don't poke it. <laughs> isn't isn't that like the the story of our time though? Is just like, hey, hey, stop revitalizing and remaking the same thing. You know, it was good when you first made it. You don't need to make it again. Alien Prometheus. <laughs> <coughs> well, and it 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 depends how much time has passed between. Um, 
I guess when something fell and when it could potentially rise again. Yeah, I mean, I, I, guess, I guess I'd be a, I'm like a hypocrite Robo, in that. Like sense. Robocop, we'll say. Okay. I mean, Neil Blomkamp's 2014 version. No, 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 no. This is a new one that's coming out, and it's a, oh. it, it's a reboot slash sequel to the original Robocop. It's not a complete reboot, but Neil Blomkamp's. Uh, said to be working on it, and they're trying to get Peter Weller back to play RoboCop and okay. stuff. So, but I don't know. Like, I think RoboCop can be updated, but like with something like I don't know, with something like Blues Brothers, do you think that you could take a movie like Blues Brothers and make it today? With you know, just the, the general talent of like what went into it, you take two people like I mean, Dan I mean, Aykroyd and John Belushi. And I, like, I think there are people that exist in in the industry today that could make this movie again. Um, I think there's the capability. I think there's an audience for it. I mean, I mean, let, let's let's take a moment and let's look at uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, for example, or yeah. or Rocket Man. I mean, what I'm, if there was not, a, what I'm if there was a movie about the making of Blues Brothers where they were portrayed by actors or something? Potentially, I'm not. I mean, pe- people seem to be into that kind of thing. Yeah, I I, I reference Bohemian Rhapsody. I don't want to like. Uh, basically, what I'm saying is that you know that that is an example of a movie that was created about a band. Mm-hmm. It's it's a docudrama more than it's and it's not the same thing. And it's also made by the remaining members of Queen who are trying to villainize Freddie Mercury a little bit. So I mean, it's, oh, it's, I didn't know that. It yeah, seemed like they were trying you know, to villainize him. The first the first time I watched it, mm-hmm. I thought it was great. Okay. And then enough. I started like sort of looking into it a bit and like they just they didn't portray the truth and they definitely did not look kindly upon bisexuality or upon uh, Freddie Mercury as a person and they kind of tried to blame him for all of Queen's problems mm-hmm. and made themselves look there there was there was a lot of stuff with that movie but it was very successful yeah. and and I think it's an example of of how uh, movies about artists and about music and about bands are really powerful because even when I sat down as a huge fan of Queen, mm-hmm. even when I sat down to watch that, I was so enraptured by the presentation of the band and the performance and the the life and the music yeah, that I didn't for sure. even for a moment think about the facts. what they were saying. I, I was I was until also, afterwards. Yeah, I was kind of when I was watching the movie, I'm like, all right, because I I always I always kind of enter those with a level of skepticism i'm like which is important yeah i'm like all right i don't know much about queen i'd like queen i like queen a lot i Mm -hmm. like that kind of music and everything but like i was just kind of sitting there at some points i'm like all right how much of this really happened and and as i have been digging a lot of it did not or or it was exaggerated because i mean at the end of the day like they they made that whole there's that whole thing about the parties where there was midgets being thrown around and stuff (laughs) like that and they made that out like that was all freddie mercury's idea that was the norm that's that's not the case at all because the whole band was in on that that was all of them that was doing that that wasn't just him yeah um you know they were just as much into the whole party scene as he was and they the have no scene yeah exactly oh sorry dwarf <laughs> dwarf throwing if there scene. are any dwarves listening to this well they're two different syndromes right oh i didn't know that yeah they're two, they're two different syndromes well right? excuse me <laughs> um but they 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 made it out to be like like it was all his fault right. and and it, it at the end of the day it certainly wasn't but that that's a whole nother <laughs> discussion. That's a whole nother discussion. Um, yeah. But to go back to your question, I think that I think that this movie could be made again. I think that the Blues Brothers, but I I, I I don't know that it should be the same 
group or the same person. I mean, I mean, Tenacious oh, D. Oh, so you're s- oh, okay. So Tenacious you're, D right, is another okay. huge example of I'm with the you. the dynamic duo. Mm-hmm. You know, fake character or the gorillas. You know, they're, they're yeah. characters that have been created of these bands that are not quite real and not quite not real. Right, right. Um, and I think that there's an audience audience for that, and I and I yeah. think that there's a budget for that. It's just a matter of of making it happen and whether whether it's even worth it i mean yeah to go back to the idea again of remaking stuff that doesn't need to be remade this movie is great yeah the blues brothers is a great movie why i don't see why you'd want to remake it but i mean there's there's movies that have come up before where i'm like why are they remaking this Mm -hmm. this doesn't need to be remade this doesn't need to be touched it's a product of its time too so it's all about money man they just want to re-release stuff and find more ways to make more money off the same problem or the same products gotta make that cheddar yep um this has been a weird episode yeah we've been talking about everything we've been talking about all kinds of random stuff and not as much about the movie as i had originally thought we were going to yeah which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. Just go where the road takes us, man. Just go with the flow, man. It's fine, <laughs> whatever. But um, but overall, I guess in summary, Blues Brothers is an amazing film. Uh, it has a really cool story world, a really cool backstory. It, it has a really it's got a cool style. Great look at comedy. Oh, actually, mm, um, yes. One thing I just wanted to talk about with the cinematography, real quick, yes. that we kind of briefly talked about during this, but like some of the shots look like they're album covers. Oh yeah, you were mentioning yeah. that. Like it could have been the 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 the, the, al- the cover of a Beatles album or something like yeah, or, or like or whatever, or album. even a Blues Brothers album. There like, you go. The one that I liked especially is when the blues the Bluesmobile was in that little electrical room, and you can just see the the headlights oh, or like yeah. you could see the car in the back and John Belushi standing next to it and Dan Aykroyd is crawl- crawling like, I don't know. or There's even just, just sitting on the top like the whole frame just looks like it belongs on the yeah. cover of a vinyl yeah exactly. specifically a vinyl yeah too. specifically yeah. a vinyl yeah no there was a lot of that and then when they're going after um Matt and uh Blue Lou mm-hmm. in in essentially a, a what seems to be a, a sort of more I don't know, crowded neighborhood, I guess. You mm, know, there's mm. um who was the John Lee John, Hooker John Lee Hooker was performing and there there was so many shots in that intro where we're moving through even just like the shots of the signage and stuff could yeah, be used. The, the stacked signs, yeah. the the crowded street, like it all looked like it could have been the cover of, of an album, you know? Yeah. Or or at the very least, it looks like it belongs it, in a music video. For sure, yeah. You know, and yeah. again, I guess that goes back to it it's a gigantic music video. It's more about music than I thought it was initially. I mean, the whole thing is about music. Well, yeah, man. no, it's whole, like the whole thing's about music, but like when you kind of look at the uh at the uh cinematography and mm-hmm. stuff, it's I don't know, there's like a little bit there's a little bit more to it, I suppose. Yeah, for sure. And you I know? mean, at the end of the day, I think that has some something to say about the people who made it, right? Because mm-hmm. we we're, we're talking about the Blues Brothers and we're ta- so we're talking about Dan Aykroyd and we're talking about um uh, John Belushi. So John Belushi is a comedian, mm. and uh, Dan Aykroyd. I, I wouldn't say that he necessarily started as a musician, be, uh, but he's he had musical background. He had musical background, yeah. and and when they met, they met at a private club that he owned in Toronto. I believe it was Toronto. Yeah, yeah they were. Yeah, um, and right. and the big focus of that discussion about that meeting is that they talked about blues, and they talked like he didn't want to he didn't want to take the job offer for. Uh, that John Belushi was offering to bring him for for work because his his club was here his his stuff was here and his like collection of music mm. was was at his club there mm. and 
and I feel like there, there's a lot to be said about about filmmakers who were driven by music because it's so especially for this film because it's so prevalent and you can you can see that that's yeah. you know that's what this is about it's about a band why why would the movie be about anything except the band and their music oh yeah for sure even if it is visual and it does go yeah into exactly visual aspects. like obviously the whole thing's about music and also illinois nazis and whatever mm, else well yeah but uh and i mean it kind of brings which up also they play a different kind of music they're always playing like the the um, symphonic kind oh, of stuff. Oh, the very marchy, yeah, orchestral, yeah, orchestral. Um, and you you might say ger- German Nazi. I mean, a, a lot of that music, like that's a, a stereotypical classic. Yeah, like yeah. these are this is the music that the Nazis listen to. <laughs> um, I mean, but even still, like everybody, everybody seems like they have their own musical style. Like the only every- ones you don't are the police. I guess they don't. The police don't, but that's not necessarily an oversight yeah that's i'm sure intentional yeah exactly um man we could just ramble about this forever yeah i love movies love music yeah um this i feel like this episode was a little bit more just discussion than anything else but uh which is which is good man we appreciate you guys listening i hoped you enjoyed what we had to say um as always there are spoilers in our podcast episodes so uh if you want to don't want the movie to be spoiled make sure you go ahead and watch it before you listen to our episode if you don't care or you want to get spoilers listen to our episode first watch our movie watch the movie this listen to the episode like, at the same time this movie's like 40 years old why haven't you watched it yet <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> man um you can find us on social media we are cinematics podcast on instagram and cinematics cast on twitter uh you can find me on um all of them at Dark Sales Films on Instagram, <laughs> on Twitter. Them. I have a Facebook page for Dark Sales Films. I have a LinkedIn page for Dark Sales Films. You can follow my production company for all the uh, other stuff that we're, we make and all the other stuff that we do. And, uh, yeah, thanks, Paul. Thank you, Ryan. And thanks, everybody, for listening to us. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. 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 Bye.